0: As you all know, SharpFootballAnalysis.com is the best place for fantasy analysis and betting information. In fact, last week, the site went 7-0 and on sides and totals with computer totals now hitting at 100% for year to date. Uh, you can choose from season-long, four-week, and overall weekly packages that best suit your needs. Use promo code SHARP25 for 25% off any product site-wide at SharpFootballAnalysis.com. <laughs> Welcome to the Sharp Angles Betting Podcast. I'm Ryan McChrystal and I'm flying solo today on the pod. Uh, My usual co-host Mark was unable to join us today at the last minute so we had to change things up a little bit but we wanted to make sure we still got this pod out on Thursday because we know a lot of our listeners tune in right away on Thursday because we do give out some picks for the Thursday night game. So uh, rather than postpone the pod, switch up our schedule a little bit, we decided to just keep on rolling with it, do a solo pod today. So it'll be a little bit shorter than usual but Hopefully I can still hand out some winning picks to you guys this week. Uh, and as you know, we like to start out every week just with a little bit of reflection on the past week to sort of just take stock of where we're at with different teams. Maybe we learned something in the previous week that you know we think might be actionable going forward, or maybe just some, you know, a trend that we picked up on, something that we want to keep an eye on that might inform bets down the road. And there's really one thing that stood out to me a lot last year. And it's, it's a fairly obvious one. It's Justin Fields with the bears. Obviously we saw a significant improvement last week, and I think it's worth checking in on him and sort of seeing where we stand with that. And if that's, you know, if there's anything that we can make of that and whether we should consider betting, betting on him or against him, you know, depending on our, on your feelings on his performance. Now, you know, I think we have to state the obvious when talking about Justin Fields improvement last week is that he played the lions, you know, every quarterback is going to look better against the lions this year, it certainly looks like that's you know a bottom five defense in the league, and there's really no reason to expect that to change. That's you know that's going to be a good matchup for everybody. Uh, but there are some things that we can that I think we can take away from his performance, and you know maybe not even so much about his performance. But for me, what really stood out was you know the, the change with Bill Lazor calling plays for them. They made some noticeable uh, changes to what they were asking Fields to do. And one thing that really stood out, I'm going to reference some stats here from Sports Info Solutions about their play calling. And it really all has to do with the RPO, the run pass option. This was something that is not a huge part of the Ohio State offense. So Fields doesn't have an extensive experience doing this. And I, I feel like I should maybe point out, too, the difference between RPO and the read option. I know a lot of fans get that confused. So for for anyone who doesn't know the difference, I'll just quickly touch on that. RPO is a run pass option. It's something that the quarterback can this basically they call what starts out as a run play at the beginning of the play. And the quarterback then makes a decision to follow through with the run play or essentially go to the backup play, which is a pass play built into the same play. And he'll make that decision either pre-snap based on how the defense is lined up or by reading a certain player or a certain side of the defensive line as the play develops. A play like that obviously can be a lot to put on the plate of a young quarterback, especially if he didn't have a ton of experience. Now the read option, which Fields did do at Ohio state and has done, and already has had success with in Chicago is where at the snap, he's looking at a defender, depending on what the defender does, he's either keeping the ball in the hand, in his own hands and running or handing it to the running back, depending on what a defender does. The read option, that is part of the Bears offense. The RPO was not a big part of the offense at Ohio State. In fact, based on this data from Sports Info Solutions, uh, only 8% of Justin Fields' pass attempts at Ohio State came a- on a RPO play. And on those plays, he had a negative 5.8 EPA. So not only wasn't it a big part of the offense, but he struggled with it. And I think that makes sense. I mentioned this prior to his first career start that Justin Fields had some issues in college against some of the better defenses they played indiana and northwestern were two games where he clearly struggled reading the defense a little bit made some really bad interceptions in both of those games and i said you know going into his first start against the browns if you're being confused by defenses uh, at indiana and northwestern nfl defenses are going to confuse you and that's not a fatal flaw he can overcome that we you know fields is obviously a talented passer and you know a good coaching staff can probably teach him how to you know how to read a defense better and you know we should expect him to improve with his decision making as time goes on but if he was struggling with it in college he's going to continue to struggle with it as a rookie now let's look closer at that week three game 21 percent of the offense was rpos that's just bad coaching and if you take out the designed run plays, the plays where the ball was in Fields' hand, either in an RPO or when he was dropping back to pass, it was 30% of the plays that where Fields was having to make a decision. Basically, one out of every three plays in that game against the Browns, he was having to make a decision with the ball in his hands in an RPO situation. It wasn't something he had extensive experience at in college. It wasn't something he was good at in college. Why on earth would you throw him into a game against a good a playoff team from a year ago in the Cleveland Browns with a good pass rush and ask him and expect him to perform. Predictably, he didn't do very well. Negative 3.2 EPA in that game alone, it was pretty brutal. You know, know, we've all seen the highlights. He did not look good. Let's, you know, step forward now to week four. What does Bill Lazor do? Well, if he's not doing something well, how about you just take it off his plate? And it's pretty much what he did. There were only 5% of the offense was RPOs in week four and they were all runs. They they all ended up being runs. Now there's a little bit of luck involved in those being runs obviously, because this is a decision that fields is making at the line of scrimmage, you know, the defense lines up differently. He probably would be forced to attempt some passes in those situations, but the fact that they dropped down from 21% of the offense to 5% of the offense, that's significant. Now, to what extent can we say this was uh, specifically Bill Lazor's imprint on the offense? That's tough to say after one game, you know, maybe this was purely a matchup thing. Maybe they'll go back to more RPOs. You know, we we can only really guess with just a one game sample size, but it's very encouraging. You know, we, we can certainly hope that this was a very purposeful decision that they made to take something off field's plate, simplify things, get him back more to doing what he did in college and did well. So as far as you know, how I'm handling the Bears moving forward, I, I'm sort of taking a wait and see approach. But if we see this trend continue, I'm certainly going to want to look at these numbers again next week. Maybe I'll, I'll try to mention it in the pod again to update this to see if it's something that maybe we should start betting on the Bears to turn things around. I think if this is something that fields if, if the offense has changed, I think that's a big step forward. We'll we'll see it. Fields continue to take a big step forward, and maybe we can start to have a little bit more faith in the Bears' offense, making progress even against some more difficult defenses. So now let's you know step into some of the Week Five games here. We'll we'll, I'll hit on a few of the bigger games to sort of give my take, not necessarily a uh, betting recommendation each game, but we want to talk about some of the big games each week, and then we'll get into a few of the you know uh, bets that I actually really like a lot for this week. Some of them are coming from the big games though, but you know, I want to start out with 49ers at the Cardinals Cardinals uh, giving five and a half points in this game. This is a tough one for me. I'm certainly not going to bet this early in the week, you know, I'll monitor the 49ers quarterback situation, monitor what the line does. Maybe I'll reevaluate on Sunday when we have some more certainty, but without knowing who the quarterback is going to be for the 49ers in this game, Trey Lance or Jimmy Garoppolo, it's hard to make a, a decision here. If it's Lance, it it's it becomes even more difficult in some ways because we don't really know what the offense is going to look like. If it's Garoppolo, then we know what they want to do with Garoppolo back there. And we can make a you know a much more of an informed decision on how we expect that game to go. If it's Lance, I'm not really sure what to expect because does the run game look a lot different? It certainly should. I would expect them to make some significant changes and use Lance more running the ball and some design runs, using some read option. Uh, like we talked about with Justin Fields, um, but then also the downside to Lance is, is he as good of a downfield passer as Garoppolo? I don't, I don't know at this point. Lance wasn't asked to throw downfield a lot in college. Um, he, he had a 44% completion rate and throws 15 or more yards downfield in college. That's not great. That's not great for anybody, especially when you think about, you know, he was a, basically an NFL caliber quarterback playing it up. FCS powerhouse surrounded by you know for that level of competition elite talent uh, i would certainly expect to see a much better number there and the fact that he wasn't asked to do it a whole lot it was a pretty small portion of the offense it does give me some hesitation trusting him there just until we've seen him do it at the NFL level more often so far in san francisco he's just one of four throwing 15 yards downfield so you know certainly you know a little bit more evidence of a very very small sample size I'm not you know going to crush him for that and just four pass attempts but you know there's definitely reason to doubt their downfield passing game when Lance is in the game now it's not a big part of their offense to begin with so it's not a huge concern but Garoppolo has actually been pretty good throwing downfield he's 10 of 16 so far completing 75 percent of his passes at that distance so even though it's not a big part of the offense it's something that you know Garoppolo has actually done somewhat surprisingly well so far so if Lance can't keep that up, that's potentially a step backwards. So if Lance is the starter, I'm probably just staying away because there's just a lot unknown about what the 49ers offense looks like. If Garoppolo's back there, you know maybe I'll reevaluate and see how the line adjusts and possibly consider something, although it's, it's probably a stay-away game for me, at least on the line. There is a bet I like in this game, though. And that's uh, the George Kittle under on his receiving yards. Now this line hasn't been posted yet. Makes sense. We don't know who the quarterback is going to be. So we'll see what happens. Maybe, especially if Lance is there, maybe it, it ends up being a very low number and, you know, it ends up being a stay away situation, but, you know, Kittle's gotten off to a really slow start this year. And there's some concerning numbers that make me think maybe something is going on in the offense that we should be worried about this continuing a little bit. And it, You know, I'm not sure. It's probably not entirely Kittle's fault. I mean, it's definitely not entirely Kittle's fault. It may not be his fault at all. It seems to be an issue of the quarterback and him just not quite being on the same page. Garoppolo's had a hard time getting him the ball. So has Lance in a couple situations. He's only seen 76 catchable air yards and 21 catchable targets this season. That's 40% of his air yards have been catchable air yards. That's the lowest rate in the league. That's rough. You know, again, it's, it's hard to know why exactly that's happening. But last year, 85% of his air yards were catchable air yards. So that's just a massive drop-off. And we should, we you know, entering this year, we were hoping the 49ers had a better quarterback situation. As I mentioned, Garoppolo has actually done well throwing the ball downfield so far this season. So it's hard to know what's going on here. Is this, you know, are, why is Kittle having a hard time Uh, getting the ball. Why are the quarterbacks having a hard time finding him? It's, you know, it's, it's confusing. It makes me want to take the under though, because, you know, we're far enough into the season now, and that's such a low number. It seems like something is definitely happening here, even if we can't quite pinpoint it. You know, and as I said, obviously that's mostly Garoppolo throwing him the ball, but he did have three targets from Lance last week and all three were uncatchable. So Lance throwing him the ball didn't seem to make a big difference. And then, you know, just on top of that, the Cardinals defense has actually defended tight ends well this year. Obviously they made some changes to the defense and try to improve that unit a lot this year. Isaiah Simmons, their 2020 first round draft pick, um, he's been their primary guy in coverage against tight ends. As a team, they're only allowing four yards per target to tight ends, a 57% completion rate. Both those numbers rank third in the NFL. So You know, this is a defense that, you know, again, through a pretty small sample size, uh, they've been doing well in these situations, defending tight ends. So, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, a matchup that the 49ers can take advantage of. So I'm going to, depending on what the number is, we'll have to see, you know, because obviously it's going to change depending on what the quarterback situation looks like. I'm definitely leaning under on George Kittle's receiving yards this week. Let's go to another big game. Talk about Bills Chiefs. Chiefs giving the Bills three points in this game. This is a big Sunday night game. Betting aside on this one, this is tough. I I never want to bet against Patrick Mahomes. But based on how the Bills offense looks right now, I don't really want to bet against Josh Allen either. So this is kind of a tough situation. I think right now, if I had to pick a side, I'm kind of leaning towards taking the Bills as long as that number stays you know, at a field goal or more, I I, I kind of like that. I think the Bills are definitely capable of winning this game outright. I think, you know, there's a very good chance that this is a shootout. You know, the total set to 56 and a half points right now. Kind of leaning the over on that right now also, but a l- little bit less confident than that. I think if I had to pick a bet for this game, as far as either the size or total, I'm leaning towards uh, taking the Bills, getting three points. And, you know, one of the reasons for that is it's really about the, as much about the Chiefs' defense as it is the Bills' offense, I don't think the Chiefs right now, you know, excluding a handful of really bad teams in the league that they would blow out, I don't think they're capable of just dominating an opponent and winning easily. I think almost every game on their schedule is going to be tough because their defense just can't stop anybody right now. And so going up against a great offense like the Bills, I don't see any reason to expect this to be an easy win for the Chiefs. I think the possible outcomes of this game are – you know Chiefs win a shootout. Maybe Bills win a shootout, but either way, close, or maybe the bills win easily. yeah, you know, it's it's certainly not an outcome that I would put a high probability on, but you know if the Chiefs make one or two you know untimely turnovers and the bills are able to build a lead, I don't think the Chiefs defense is able to come up with enough stops against this Bill's offense to get them back into the game. So I, I think the one outcome for this game that's not possible is an easy chief's win. So, that, that leans me towards you know liking the bills in this matchup and there is also a player prop that i like in this one again basically because the chiefs defense can't stop anybody i like devin singletary on um, the over on his rushing yards this line also hasn't been posted yet but in the past it's this number has been available around 45 yards i think i would take the over up to 50 yards in this game it has a little bit to do with just the chiefs just being an overall mess on defense also has to do with a little bit of how the how the Bills rushing game matches up schematically with the Chiefs. The Bills like to run the ball of 11 personnel. That makes up 76% of Devin Singletary's carries in their offense. He's averaging 5.6 yards per carry in 11. So he's having a lot of success in that formation that they lean on a lot. Chiefs defense, well, they rank dead last in the league, allowing 6.2 yards per carry versus 11 personnel. So the Chiefs, Defense as a whole has a lot of issues. This also looks like a really specific matchup where they're going to have a hard time stopping Devin Singletary. I think, as long as the Chiefs don't get out to a big early lead, which, you know, again, I mentioned, I don't think that's likely. If they don't get out to that big early lead, I think Devin Singletary sees, you know, a decent workload. Obviously, this isn't a pass, this isn't a run heavy offense, but given how much the Chiefs have struggled to stop the run in those situations where the Bills like to run. I think we should probably expect a couple extra carries for Singletary in this game. And just real quickly, just explaining why I like Singletary versus Zach Moss. You know, I don't although Moss has played well and we've seen his workload increase in the past two weeks, because those wins over Houston and Washington were such blowouts. 25 of his 35 carries on the season have been in those blowout victories. So I don't think we can really trust his usage in what should be a close game. In fact, only four of his carries this season. Have been when the Bills have been leading by less than a touchdown, so they haven't shown a willingness to trust him in a tight game. So I'm gonna just stay away from Moss and assume that he's not going to be a, a significant part of the offense until you know we've seen the Bills use him in that situation. Maybe this is a game where he, you know, they maybe he earned some trust the past two weeks and maybe he works his way back into the mix more this week. It's possible, but that's not a situation that I'm betting on until I've actually seen it. So those are the two big games that I wanted to talk about. Now let's go to a game where it's certainly a lot less interesting, but there's a couple bets that I like in this one. And it's Titans favored by only four points against the Jaguars. Pretty surprised that number is so low. It's on the road, so that's factoring in. There's also some injuries here for the Titans, which are a factor as well. And then last week's loss to the Jets, I'm sure, pushed this number down. If they had taken care of business against the Jets last week, we probably would see this number up little bit higher maybe even close to a touchdown but that was a bad loss last week that said I like the Titans over the team total over 26 and a half points in this game and this is I, I like that regardless of the health of the Titans receivers obviously A.J. Brown and Julio Jones were injured last week their status is uncertain for this Sunday this is really just the Jaguars defense is a mess there's obviously a lot of stuff going on in Jacksonville right now off the field with Urban Meyer. We don't need to get into all of that, but it is something that we should kind of have in the back of our mind. This was a coaching staff that, you know, we had significant doubts about entering the year. It has gone as poorly as possible. And I think we should question the team's buy-in right now. You know, there've been a lot of anonymous quotes out there that different reporters have shared about teams, uh, players on the team, saying that the team is pretty much all out on urban Meyer right now. And even if that's only a portion of the locker room, the fact that it exists in the locker room at all is problematic. If players are willing to already go to, you know, the media and start talking about that type of stuff entering week five, it's an issue. So we should probably have some skepticism about uh, their effort level. And then, you know, looking a little bit closer at the defense, you know, as I said, we had questions about it coming in. And one of the questions was uh, the defensive coordinator, Joe Colin, he hadn't been a defensive coordinator since 2004 at Indiana University. That's a long time since he's been put in this situation and obviously a big step up level in competition to the NFL since, you know, he was a defensive coordinator in the Big Ten, you know, over 15 years ago. That That's so long ago, I went back and looked at his team. The you know, His best player on that defense was Tracy Porter, cornerback, who you may remember ahead of that a big moment in the Saints Super Bowl victory over the Colts way back when that game clinching interception. Porter has been out of the league for 6 seasons now. So that's a long time going back when he was defensive coordinator. He was put in a difficult situation. You know, I, I don't have any anything really bad to say about Colin as a coach other than he was put in a tough situation with a coach, a head coach who seems to be in over his head. He's obviously lacking a lot of talent on that defense. He has players who probably aren't buying in anymore. And he just doesn't have the experience to overcome that. I don't think, I think it's just a really bad situation. If we're the source if you know, if we had a more experienced coach in this situation, a seasoned veteran defensive coordinator, you know, maybe he could at least get his side of the ball on track, but I don't think there's any reason to think Colin is capable of doing that because he hasn't shown it so far. And, you know, there's just, it's just been a mess. If you can't get everybody uh, on the same page early in the season, after what we've seen happen off the field and help some players are already uh, struggling to buy in this, you know, in entering week five, that's, that's a problem. That's something that's, you know, not entirely Cullen's fault, but you know, it's, I think we should bet against him getting this defense back on track. So I, I like the Titans over 26 and a half points and it's almost entirely about the Jaguars defense. Now there's another bet that I really like, in this game. And it's, I'm not entirely sure what the bet is. I'm going to be a little bit vague here, but I'm going to take a Titans wide receiver over on their receiving yards. Now, obviously this has to do with who's healthy. We don't know who the primary target is going to be. AJ Brown has already returned to practice from a hamstring injury. As of Wednesday's practice, Julio Jones, also with a hamstring injury, he had not yet returned. If either of those guys are healthy, maybe I'd go that direction take one of them if they're both out again, Nick Westbrook-Akine would be the guy that I would look to take the over on his receiving yards. And I'm, you know, obviously, you know, just, I hope Brown and Jones get back healthy. It's obviously the Titans are more fun to watch when they're on the field, but from a betting standpoint, Nick Westbrook-Akine being their top option again would probably be best for us as far as being able to take advantage of what should be a pretty low number because, Last week, he only had three receptions for 29 yards, but he had eight targets, including a team high four targets at 10 yards or more downfield. Ryan Tannehill has spoken very highly of him uh, in the past couple of weeks as it's become clear that you know he, he might need to take on a bigger role due to some injuries. So there seems to be some trust there. He's getting some downfield targets you know, I think if that number for him is pretty low, you know, I think last week it was about 35 yards. I don't have it in front of me, but I think his over under was in the thirties. If it's in that range again, and he's the number one receiver, I'm definitely taking it. Even if one of Brown or Jones returns, I might still take Westbrook Akini because obviously he's still going to factor into the passing game. Now, if both Brown and Jones back, I'm not going to go there because his role in the offense has been proven to be pretty small when those two are on the field. But the fact that Jones hasn't even taken uh, a step back to the practice field yet seems to indicate that you know maybe we should assume he's out. And at best, it's Brown and Westbrook-Akine as the starting outside receivers there in Tennessee, which would make me consider the over on Brown and definitely take want to take Westbrook-Akine, the over on his receiving yards. And You know, let's again, I hate to continue ripping on the Jaguars, but a big reason why I like those bets is because of the matchup. And I talked about this a little bit on last week's pod. If you listened for last week's Thursday night game, I gave out the over for Jamar Chase's receiving yards because of the matchup versus Jaguars rookie cornerback Tyson Campbell. That was a really bad matchup. Campbell had at the time last week, Campbell had only had had two starts under his belt and he had really struggled. Now we've seen three games, and he continues to struggle. Chase fairly easily hit the over on his receiving yards. He had a season high in receptions, uh, many of them coming against Campbell. If you watch the game, the broadcasters actually talked about that being a mismatch at one point as uh, Chase beat him deep on a ball. Um, It it seems like Campbell is a guy that opposing uh, offensive coordinators and quarterbacks have already identified as somebody who needs to be targeted and it's not surprising. It happens to lots of rookie cornerbacks. Defenses want, or offenses want to pick on him, pick on them early in their career, just kind of see what they have because, you know, a lot of rookie cornerbacks are going to struggle. So that's often the mismatch you can identify. Campbell hasn't responded to those challenges yet. So I think we're going to see see offenses continue to throw his way just to throw out a couple numbers to back that up. Tyson Campbell has been targeted in his three games as a starter on 25% of pass attempts that's made up 29% of the air yards against the Jaguars defense in that time. And when throwing 10 or more yards downfield against the Jaguars defense, 38% are targeted at Campbell. So not only are defenses, you know, seeking him out, but they're trying to take advantage of him down the field. And the Titans are going to try to do that in this game. There's no doubt about it. I already mentioned Westbrook Akini had four targets at 10 or more yards downfield last week against the Jets. I think we can assume that. You know, especially if he's the number one receiver, there's gonna they're gonna try to seek out those opportunities where he's lined up against Tyson Campbell and take some shots downfield. And you know, we should feel more confident in him being able to take advantage of those opportunities. And I'll just I'll just reiterate another stat that I threw out on last week's pod, but I, th- I think it's worth repeating. I know some people turn turn off our podcast before we get to the Thursday night action. So some of you may have missed this last week, but you know I think it's it lends even more uh, more confidence to you know, betting against Tyson Campbell because last year at Georgia, these stats come from Sports Info Solutions. He had an uncatchable targets thrown his way. He had an expected catch rate allowed of 78.7%. That's based on, again, catchable targets and it, it factors in the types of routes because obviously different routes have different expected catch rates. You know, a screen pass is going to have a very high expected catch rate, go route much lower. So his expected catch rate allowed was 78.7% his actual catch rate allowed 85.7%. So even last year at Georgia, you know, playing on a very good defense supported by a ton of talent, he was a little bit of a liability in that Bulldogs defense last year. So this Jaguars draft pick, they took him in the second round. It was really all about his length and athleticism. He has the profile of someone that they can maybe mold into a really quality cornerback who can play on an Island down the road, but He wasn't that player at Georgia. He's certainly not that player yet. This is really a developmental prospect who's been thrown into the fire early in his career. You know, you kind of feel bad for him because it's a tough situation. We really didn't have any reason to expect him to excel right out of the gate. And now on a defense that's you know struggling at a number of positions, he's sort of been identified as the weak link. So I think we should continue to expect teams to pick on him, you know, you know, he might be a name that I continue to bring up over the next couple of weeks, trying to pinpoint which receiver is going to get those opportunities because until he steps up his game a little bit, it looks like there's going to be some mismatches that he's forced to deal with. So again, I I like one of the Titans receivers over their receiving errors. We'll, We'll see who it is. It's probably Westbrook Akine, as long as he's in the starting lineup. If both Brown and Julio Jones are back, Maybe I would lean towards AJ Brown just because he's returned to the practice field earlier than Jones has. So maybe we should have a little bit more confidence in him being closer to 100%. If those are the if those two guys are back. So let's move now to Thursday night football. Obviously, we like to talk about Thursday night every week since we release the pod on Thursdays. You know, we want we want to at least touch on the game even if we don't have any strong plays. So I'll I'll start out by just sort of talking about the game in general and then give out a prop bet that I do like on this one. Obviously, we've got finally a good Thursday night game. We've had some pretty brutal matchups the past couple of weeks, but we got the Rams favored by two and a half at the Seahawks. I don't really have a strong opinion on this game. I haven't placed a bet yet. I'm kind of leaning towards the Rams, though, and I'll throw out some numbers. Um, some numbers about what the Rams defense have done to did to Russell Wilson last year, and you know th- these it's, it's hard to put too much stock in this because obviously Brandon Staley, their defensive coordinator from last year, you know, he's now in uh, Los Angeles chargers head coach Raheem Morris, who was not with the Rams last year, he came over and he's now taken over as the defensive coordinator. So he might put a different stamp on this defense in terms of how he wants to match up with the Seahawks. So again, you know, take have a little bit of skepticism about some of these numbers that I'm going to throw out. But obviously, most of the Rams coaching staff is the same. They had a ton of success, you know, shutting down Russell Wilson, as some of these numbers will show. So it, it wouldn't be surprised if Morris listens to some of the guys who were there last year and, you know, employs some of these same tactics that worked. And what really stood out to me is that Russell Wilson struggled against the Rams last year in their, in their three matchups obviously, two regular season and the playoff game. He struggled when the Rams did not blitz him, which is a little bit surprising because Russell Wilson tends to pick apart defenses when they don't blitz him. His EPA against everybody else last year when they didn't blitz was positive 59.8. Against the Rams, when the Rams did not blitz, it was negative 17.6. And it was negative in all three games. This was something that he struggled with in every matchup. It's it's interesting because... It wasn't an issue of the Rams being able to get pressure on him without blitzing. In fact, in their week 16 matchup, that was one of the lowest pressure rates he faced all season. So normally when a team is able to frustrate a quarterback without blitzing, it's because they just have an elite pass rush. We've t- I've talked about it in past weeks with the Carolina Panthers. Their defensive success this year has stemmed in large part to not blitzing and getting a ton of pressure on quarterbacks with just four pass rushers. That wasn't the case for the Rams against the Seahawks last year. What seemed to be happening was because they weren't blitzing, they're obviously dropping more guys in coverage, and they seem to be causing some problems for the Seahawks there because when throwing 10 or more yards downfield against the Rams without a blitz, he only completed 38.1% of his passes. That number against everybody else in the league without the blitz, 58.2%. So Wilson, normally, he's able to pick apart defenses against the Rams when they don't blitz, throwing downfield. That was basically taken away from them. So it'll be interesting to see, as I said, change in defensive coordinator might change how they want to approach Russell Wilson in this game. So I don't have a huge amount of confidence. I think if Staley were back as a defensive coordinator seeing those issues, I would probably take the Rams. The little bit of doubt with how Raheem Morris might change things up on defense makes me hesitate a little bit. But that's definitely the direction that I'm leaning based on the success we saw. Obviously, if you can cause cause problems for a quarterback without blitzing, huge advantage for your defense. And that's what the Rams were able to do to Russell Wilson last year. Now there is a, a bet that I want to, a prop bet that I do definitely like, and that's Van Jefferson's longest reception over 20.5 yards. Now going a you know a little bit of a strange direction maybe with Van Jefferson, he's not, the focal point of the Rams offense by any means. But I think this is you know a good mix of a, n- a number that looks favorable because so far in their four games, he's gone over that number in three or four games. So even without seeing a significant workload in the Rams offense, this seems to be a number that he's capable of going over. But I think we might see him get a couple more targets in this game just be- because of what his role is. In the Seahawks or uh, in the Rams offense, and what the Seahawks defense has struggled with, go with some numbers here from the Seahawks defense. You know, this was this is a, an issue that they struggled with last year defending the ball downfield. So far, teams this year are attempting 11.5 throws per game at 10 or more down 10 or more yards downfield against the Seahawks. That's the third most in the league. Again, like I said, this was an issue for them last year. Teams liked challenging them down the field and trying to take advantage of some weaknesses in their secondary. When teams do throw 10 or more yards downfield against the Seahawks, they're allowing a 60.9% completion rate. That's the fifth worst in the league. So teams are trying to take advantage of the Seahawks downfield and they're having success when doing so. Now the Rams, last year with Jared Goff, throwing downfield was not a big part of the offense in fact, Goff only threw 10 or more yards downfield 25% of the time, only completed 49% of those passes. So it it wasn't a big part of their offense. Goff wasn't particularly good at it last year. Enter Matthew Stafford. He's throwing 10 or more yards downfield 33% of the time. So one out of every three passes, he's taking shots at least 10 yards downfield. He's completing 58% of those passes. So a big step up, not only in how often the Rams are taking those shots downfield so far, Big step up and how often there's the Stafford is completing those passes. So, you know, we could look at those two numbers and maybe lean towards the over on any of the Rams receivers, hitting the over in their receiving yards prop. But I specifically like Jefferson, as I mentioned, he's already gone over that number in three or four games. So even if without a big workload, maybe he is capable of going over that. But 61% 61% of Jefferson's targets have been at 10 or more yards downfield. So when they do throw the ball to him, they tend, he tends to be a part of their downfield passing game. So based on the fact that the CYC defense struggles, that offenses seem to be throwing downfield them more often, it seems like we should expect a slightly bigger workload for Jefferson. In fact, when the Rams throw 10 or more yards downfield, Jefferson sees a pretty significant 24% target share. So when they're taking shots, down the field. Jefferson's a much bigger part of the offense. Seems like we should expect him to see a few extra targets in this game. It might lean you to take the over on his receptions too. It's a three and a half. I could see him going over that. That's not my favorite bet. I prefer this longest reception at 20 and a half to the receptions total at three and a half. But, you know, for the all the same reasons that I just laid out of why we should expect him to get some more targets downfield if he converts on a high percentage of those opportunities downfield, he could easily go over that receptions total as well. So this Thursday night game, as I said, leaning the Rams minus two and a half, definitely like Van Jefferson's longest reception over 20.5. And considering the over in his receptions at 3.5. So that recaps the Thursday night game where I'm going with that. Let's do a quick recap of some of the bets I gave out earlier on some of the other games, George Kittle, leaning the receiving yards under we're waiting on that number to come out based on the quarterback situation if it's too low which is possible with Trey Lance if Trey Lance takes over maybe we stay away but leaning the under on George Kill's receiving yards Devin Singletary rushing yards over liking that a lot based against the, based on the Chiefs defensive struggles really like the Titans team over at 26 and a half points against a struggling Jaguars defense and then like A.J. Brown or Nick Westbrook-Akine receiving yards over again, trying to take advantage of that Jaguars defense. Hopefully that uh, we can take advantage of that Tyson Campbell matchup two weeks in a row. So that's all for today. Thanks for joining me for this solo pod. Hopefully able to still give you uh, uh, some winning picks, even though we got a few uh, fewer bits of advice in there this week with just me riding solo this week. Hopefully I'll be back next week with a co-host and we can give you a little bit of a longer pod and some more picks for you next week. Enjoy the weekend, everybody.